ask you guys uh, a personal question. I'm going to anyway, so <laughs> you can't stop me. Uh, <clears throat> have, you ever, have you ever blown it before? Have you ever blown it before? Uh, I'm not talking about, like, have you made a mistake? Right? We've, we've made mistakes before. We, you know, we forgot to show our work when we were taking our math test and we got docked three points. Like, we crammed for midterm or final exam or finishing that paper, you know, that we were supposed to work on all semester. Students, you tracking with me? You know, have you ever done that before? Um, maybe, maybe you had an investment that you sold a little too early. You should have held on to it, but you got rid of it. Or maybe you got rid of it when you should have held on to it. Maybe, maybe you look back at a, a relationship in your life and think to yourself, ah, that, that probably was a mistake. You know, if I had to do it over again, I, I wouldn't. But I'm not talking about uh, mistakes, right? We all make those. Uh, I'm thinking about something a little more uh, sinister. Like I'm thinking about uh, sin. Right? Have, have you ever blown it before? You think back to a conversation that you had and you, you spoke out of turn. You, you said something that you shouldn't have said. You shared something that you shouldn't have shared. Uh, you, you, you gossiped and you walk away and you go, I shouldn't have done that. Maybe you, you think back to a, a relationship that you had back in high school or college or last month, and you go, ah, I would like to have that back. Maybe you, you take stock of your life and you see times where uh, pride led you to, to act in ways that you're just kind of ashamed of. Or, or, or you think about how envy has stirred your heart and, and taken uh, you to places that you never thought it would. Or, or maybe lust arrived at your doorstep. And you, you think back at uh, how that has played out in your heart and in uh, your life. Um, have you uh, ever blown it before? Have you ever blown it before and then taken a look at your life and realized that you are where you are uh, because of decisions that you made? You experience the consequences or the fallout of those decisions in your own heart and in your own life, uh, and you have no one else to blame but you. I once heard a pastor say the one common denominator in all the poor decisions that we ever make uh, is that you were there. Right? The one common denominator in all the bad decisions that you have ever made is that you were there. I don't listen to him anymore. <laughs> but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that he was right. right? Sometimes we, we experience the fallout of our own decisions in life. We, uh, we find ourselves kind of sitting in the consequences of something that we have said or done. 
Uh, my question to you this morning um, really isn't so much, have you ever blown it before? Because uh, we, myself included, uh, have. It's how do we respond to God uh, when we've blown it? How do we respond to God uh, when we've blown it? Uh, this is actually the question that's answered for us in Nehemiah chapter 9. Uh, if you're just joining us for our series, Nehemiah uh, went to the king at the time of the Persian, Cyrus, and asked if people, God's people who had been scattered, could return back to Jerusalem. You remember the United Kingdom under David and Solomon had been divided. People had been scattered. Three major superpowers had come and defeated God's people and scattered them. There were the Assyrians and the Babylonians and then the Persians. Oftentimes, the, the people would be separated from their homeland. They wanted to uh, rip out or remove them from their culture or from uh, their faith. And Nehemiah had gone to King Cyrus and said, Hey, can the people come and return home to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall around the city? Right? And we, we know from walking through the book of Nehemiah that Nehemiah cared uh, more about just rebuilding the wall. He ultimately wanted to see God rebuild the people. Uh, so the people in Nehemiah chapter 8 had uh, come under the word of God. The people had gathered together. Uh, the word was read to them. And when the word was read to them, it served as a mirror that was held up uh, to their hearts. Right, Their hearts essentially were exposed and they saw themselves how God saw them. They were grieved or broken over their sin. And so they begin repenting, confessing before the Lord. And then they're encouraged, uh, no, 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 now's not the time for that. This is a time of celebration, right? It's, it's really interesting. People began repenting. They said, no, 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 now's not the time. We're going to actually celebrate the goodness of God. And that's what they did in Nehemiah chapter 8. But then in Nehemiah chapter 9, the people uh, come back and they begin to repent and confess their sins. They found themselves in a difficult situation and they knew that the reason that they were in a difficult situation was because of decisions that they had made. So Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 34 um, paints a picture of the people and where they find themselves. It says, our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave to them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. And we are in great distress. So the people find themselves in this land that God had promised to them. This place that God said he would give to them. But they realize that there is someone over them now. And the reason that there is an enemy over them and ruling over them is because of their own sins. 
because of the decisions that they had made. So how do uh, we respond uh, to God when we've blown it? Nehemiah chapter 9 is going to instruct us to respond in three ways. He's going to tell us that we should uh, confess or repent of our sin, remember uh, the goodness of God, and then recommit ourselves to the Lord. Repent, remember, and recommit. First, the people in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1, repent. It says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and uh, with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. You see, you see the picture? People have gathered uh, together. They're, they're broken over their sin. Right? Their hearts have been exposed uh, to the Lord. And so they hear from the Word of God, and then they respond uh, to the Word of God. They confess their sins. They uh, repent. They, in essence, come clean uh, before God. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we have a tendency, uh, you and me have a tendency, to defend our sins. Right, to, to justify it, to excuse it away. Maybe we don't defend it, maybe we simply hide from it. Right, we pull an Adam and Eve and we try to cover our tracks. We try to make sure nobody finds out or uh, nobody uh, knows what we've said or done. Maybe we blame someone else. We look and we point fingers and we go, well, the, the, way, uh, the reason that I responded the way that I did was because of something uh, you have done. Moms and dads, have you ever done this before where you found yourself uh, frustrated with your son or daughter having a conversation, responding uh, to something they said or did in an inappropriate way, uh, and you see the brokenness of your own heart and how you are interacting uh, with them, uh, and yet, instead of accepting responsibility, uh, you essentially point the finger and say, hey, we kind of are where we are uh, because of decisions that you have made. I had this experience on Tuesday morning when my daughter was preparing to get ready for the bus. Um, she was running late, even though her father had gotten her up in an ample amount of time to get ready and have breakfast and put on uh, her shoes. I'd given her at least five to seven minutes to do all that. And I was frustrated because she was running a little behind and because all year, and I listen, I don't want to toot my own horn, uh, but all year, while I have been responsible for getting Amelia to the bus, she has never missed the bus. So I had a perfect record. We're a week and a half away from the end of the year, and I wanted to continue that record. As she is on the stairs trying to put on her socks and shoes uh, one minute past the time she was supposed to be at the bus stop, her father is getting frustrated with her because his record is about uh, to be broken. 
right? And so I find my voice being elevated and my frustration being elevated uh, with my daughter responding to her uh, in an inappropriate way, quite honestly sinning in my interaction with her. But instead of accepting responsibility, I said, you had plenty of time to get ready. You need to get your socks and shoes on. You, 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 you're the problem. Right? So we, we have a tendency to do this sometimes with sin. We blame others for the situation we find ourselves in. I had the joy that morning of driving her to school because I uh, was lax in getting her ready. And because of that, she missed the bus. And so I had the opportunity to repent. And to say, uh, that was wrong, right? Forgive me. Right? But we do this sometimes with our sin. We, we justify it, we defend it, we hide, uh, we downplay it, we say that it's not a big deal. But the people here in Nehemiah chapter 9, they do not respond that way. Right? They confessed uh, their sin, Scripture says, and they confessed the sins of their fathers. Isn't that interesting? Verse 2, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners, which means they, they, they devoted themselves to God. And it says, and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. I, admittedly, I read that and I get them confessing their sins. And I get that because I'm responsible for, for my sin. If I mess up, I fess up because I have this relationship with the Lord. It's between me and Him. And I have a tendency, I think we have a tendency, to be very individualistic in our relationship with God. And so we think about this right here. But apparently the people are not only thinking about this, confessing their sins, but it says they confessed the sins of their fathers. I don't know as, as a church and as a people if we have a, a healthy category for that. Right? It's so easy for us to look at the decisions that others have made and go, well, it's, it's on them. Right? They did that. They, they said that. That's their fault. And yet within the, the, the church, the community, the body of Christ, it seems like it is time for us communally to confess sins that our fathers have, have committed. So, so as we interact with God, we say, hey, we are a people historically who have missed the mark. Like, I'm not the first one. I wasn't the first one just on Tuesday that it happened to. Right? And so there's this, there's this sense where we confess to the Lord, we confess our sins, but also uh, there, there are times when it's appropriate as a church, as the people of God, to, to look back, maybe even historically, and to go, hey, we, we've dropped the ball here. Maybe, maybe we look back and we go, there, there's been an, an issue of, of justice that, that historically has, has marked the church. And it seems like there are times for us to look back and go, God, we, we repent. There are times when maybe we look at how the church has operated historically and we've missed the mark and so we confess it to uh, the Lord. And so how do you respond to God when uh, you have blown it? 
Uh, here, we are, we are told that we should be a people of repentance, that we should be a people who uh, come clean. But not only should we be a people who repent, we should be a people who remember. And, and what we should uh, remember is, is not... Is, is not the replay of all the things that we've said or done, not, not our mis- mistakes or our sins. What we should uh, remember is the grace and the goodness of God. Nehemiah chapter 9, really beginning in verse 5 or 6, is, uh, I believe, the longest prayer in all of Scripture. Uh, it is a, a chapter that rehearses and reflects upon almost all of Old Testament history. Like, if you're going to wake up in the morning and think to yourself, I kind of want to read the whole Old Testament today, but you don't have time, turn to Nehemiah chapter 9, right? Because Nehemiah chapter 9 rehearses uh, really human history uh, for you and for me. Uh, The first thing that we remember in our prayer to God is that God is the Creator, It says in Nehemiah uh, chapter 9, Blessed be your glorious name who is exalted above all blessing and praise. Verse 6, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven uh, worships you. So this is... This is the people of God remembering who they are dealing with. Who are they dealing with? Uh, they are dealing with the creator of the world. Right? When we come before God, we are interacting and speaking with the God who made us. Right? There are times where it is wholly appropriate as the people of God to stop and to look at the world around us and be blown away by our creator God. There are times when it's wholly appropriate for us to make our way up a mountain and stand on the top and look out and think to ourselves, wow, right, God made this. There are times when it is wholly appropriate uh, to drive to the beach, to stick your toes in the sand and let the water come up against them and go, God, I am blown away that you spoke this into existence, and that you told the water, that's far enough. Right? God is the creator God, and so people in their brokenness are coming to him and saying, God, you made it all. Not only do they acknowledge God's creation, but they acknowledge that God is a promise-keeping God. Look at verse 7, Nehemiah chapter 9. It says, you are the Lord, the God who chose Abram, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you, and you made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite and the Girgashite. And you, and you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And so they, they come before the creator God of the universe and they say, they speak back to God, God, you are a faithful God who keeps your promises. Amelia came back uh, from school about a week ago and she wanted me to hang something in her room. And she told me late at night I had prayed for her. It was like 
9.57. I'm like, we're not going to hang that right now. I will hang it up tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow was a very busy day for Daddy. I have no recollection of what I did. But I was busy, and I forgot to hang up this thing on the wall. And she told me when she went to bed, Dad, you said that you were going to hang that up on the wall. And I said, I am so sorry. I forgot uh, to hang it up. But, however... I will hang it up tomorrow. And when she came back from school the next day, she came into her room. And someone forgot to hang this little thing up on the wall. I won't mention who it was, but hypothetically for the sake of the illustration, it was me. And I realized in that moment, she's asked me three times to hang this up, and I have not done it. And I just thought to myself, okay, what does that uh, feel like for a little person to hear someone essentially make a promise and say, I'm going to do it and not do it. Uh, what is amazingly wonderful is when God says he is going to do something, he does it. And he is not slow in keeping his promises. And so get the picture that the people, right, they've blown it. They're, they're ruled by another nation. They're under their thumb. And they confess their sins and the sins of their fathers to the Lord. And then they come before the Lord and say, God, you are the God who, who made all of this. This is yours. And, and then they, they remind God as, as, as if he needs a reminder that he is the promise-keeping God. And then they, uh, they mention to God that he is the protector and the provider of all people. It says in verse 9, And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and you heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of the land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself. As it is to this day. I love that. You, God, made a name for yourself. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day. And by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down from, my, from Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. Verse 14, And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded of them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn uh, to give them. Isn't that beautiful? God shows up. He is the protector God who protects his people from the enemy. He is a provider God who provides what we need when we need it. He shows up and so this picture of God uh, continues to develop. Not only is God a provider and a protector, but he is also gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 16 says, but they, our fathers, acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders you had performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Which is crazy. And it says, but you are a God ready to forgive, 
gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He did not forsake them. And is that not good news? When you and when me, when I experience the consequences of our own sinfulness, we approach a God, apparently, who is ready to forgive. He's ready to forgive. He's gracious and he's merciful. He's uh, slow to anger. If you were to continue uh, to read chapter 9, really verses uh, 18 on through uh, verse uh, 29, you read again and again and again how God uh, shows up and shows off and the people, God's people, rebel. Right? We read time and time again, God being so godlike and humanity uh, being so human. And yet, the way that God responds uh, to his creation time and time again is to extend mercy. Verse 31, nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and a merciful God. There's six times in Nehemiah chapter 9, six kind of movements in this chapter, where it says God did something spectacular, and God's people uh, responded in rebellion. Right? God does something spectacular, and God's people uh, respond in rebellion. Oftentimes, the people would experience the consequences of their own decisions that they made, and they would cry out to God, and God would continue uh, to be merciful and gracious with his people. We see it time and time again. This is like Sports Center Top 10 of all the, the wonderful plays that God has made historically. And humanity is like Sports Center Not Top 10. Like these are the ways that we've uh, fumbled uh, God's grace. These are the ways that we have drifted uh, from Him. These are the ways that we have gone uh, our own way. And so the people, they, they know they're experiencing the consequences of their sins. They uh, repent. They come before the Lord. They confess their sins. And then they remember the goodness of God. God, I'm remembering the kind of God you are. I'm reminded of your character and how uh, you operate. And then finally, we're going to see that not only do the people repent, not only do they remember, but they recommit themselves to the Lord. Verse 38 says, Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And so what the people do is they respond to their sin with repentance and remembering, and then they recommit themselves uh, to the Lord. They say, all right, we're going we're gonna to do this again. Like, we're going we're gonna to be different this time. We're going to alter and change the way that we uh, respond to God. It, it's really a, a beautiful in some ways how they uh, respond to God after they have been uh, broken by their sin. Uh, can I ask you a question this morning? Um, ha have you ever had uh, this experience before? 
Like, have, have you ever responded to your sin in such a way that you repent, you remember the goodness of the Lord, and, and then you cry out to God and you say, God, I want to I do things differently. God, I realize the, the error of my ways, and, and I want to interact with you in a way that I have failed to up until this point. Right? Maybe, maybe it was the time where you, you filled out a card at the end of a, a church service. Maybe you were at camp or a conference, and you heard the word spoken, and God's Spirit stirred in your heart. And you had this new commitment in you um, to, to do things differently. It's, it's really quite beautiful when that happens. It's, it's beautiful when, when God gets our attention and exposes our hearts. It's his mercy. And, and then when we're able to speak back to him what we know is true, and then when we recommit our ways to the Lord and say, God, I am in. I am going to follow you. I am recommitting myself to you. It's beautiful when that happens. Uh, and uh, if we are not careful, uh, there, there can be uh, a, a danger in uh, our uh, commitment uh, to, to do better. Now let me explain that because it sounds like I'm taking back what I just offered. <laughs> this is beautiful. Be careful. Uh, however... Um, uh, there is a way that we can respond to God when we're broken over our sin that ultimately isn't helpful. Uh, I decided this last week that I would put a name on it. And the name that I decided to put on it is um, the, the, the Jocko Way. Uh, because I started reading uh, this author, uh, Jocko uh, Wilkins. Uh, Willink, I'm sorry. Uh, he is a, a former Navy SEAL uh, who uh, served in Iraq. He uh, trained Navy SEALs. He did uh, such a spectacular and a bang-up job that when he uh, came back, he continued to train uh, Navy SEALs. Um, this guy, you see his picture? I mean, just look at him. That's his normal face. I just, there's certain people that I look at in life, and I just, I just go, I think he could beat me up. Right? He's one of those guys that I look at, and I go, I think uh, that he could beat me up. And to, to make matters worse, if you listen to him talk, he has a voice that matches his face. Right? It feels like he's got gravel that he's chewing on and spitting out as he talks. Right? He's just... And he is inspiring. Right? He, he is a man's man. He is a dude. Right? And you cannot help but read him and think to yourself, yes. Like, I want that. Jocko will tell you um, that the key uh, to getting up early in the morning is to get up early in the morning. Right? He will tell you the key to eating healthy is to eat healthy, right? He, he uses words like dominate and smother 
and get after it and go get some. Like he's very, very inspiring. But when you read him, if you're not careful, there is this sense of self-discipline and determination that I finally am going to get my stuff together and do things differently. The danger in that is we read in Nehemiah chapter 9 that for thousands, thousands of years, God's people responded in much the same way. God revealed himself and the people rebelled. God disciplines, the people repent. God reveals himself, and the people rebel. God sends discipline, and the people repent. And they do this again and again and again and again. If all we have is the people of God, is self-discipline, and determination to finally get our stuff together. If all we have is the Jocko way, we will be disappointed. We will be disappointed. The human heart is a fickle thing. We do not need uh, the Jocko way. Uh, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. This is the story of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is looking for a Savior. It's looking for a Savior. And the very uh, good news is that in the fullness of time, our Savior came. Uh, Jesus has come. So may I suggest to you, uh, when you find yourself uh, broken over your own brokenness. Uh, don't cry out uh, to Jocko. Uh, cry out to Jesus. And uh, he will, in a very beautiful way, uh, meet you right where uh, you are. Uh, praise God for Jesus, our Savior. Uh, God, we thank you uh, for Christ. Uh, we thank you that in our uh, brokenness, in our sinfulness, that there is hope and there is help uh, for us. And his name is Jesus. And so we uh, cry out uh, to you this morning and we admit our inability uh, to make life work on our own terms. We admit that we need someone outside of ourselves uh, to save us. And we give you thanks uh, that that person, uh, Jesus, has come. Lord, I pray that right now you would uh, fill your people with hope uh, and with life. God, thanks so much for uh, loving us. Thank you for calling us uh, your sons and daughters. We give you thanks and we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.